ask for your prayers for me and uh, for God to speak through his word. Father, I thank you for this book, which tells us of your love for us. And I thank you for the privilege it is to preach from it. I ask for your help. I ask for each one of us that you would begin to kindle in us a stronger desire to hear from you, that we would know your voice. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we all know that experience of having a, maybe a, a lunch or a coffee or uh, an interaction with somebody who is completely self-absorbed. And the conversation is really one way. And it's supposed to be an interaction, but their conversation just seems to keep steering back to them. You, you know what that's like. You, you throw something out there about yourself, and they make a dismissive comment and then tell you more about themselves. And they keep the conversation going about them. You know, and I, I've heard people playfully say, it's like saying, enough about me. Now let's talk about what you think about me, right? They just, they just want to keep bringing it back to themselves. One of, one of the, I think, funniest comedians that is out there is a guy named Brian Reagan. And maybe many of you guys have heard his stuff. He's a clean comedian. He doesn't use vulgar language and has just true wit. And he has one of his stand-up skits talking about what he calls the me monster, and the me monster is the guy at the party who can hear your story and then trump you. He's listening for you to start to get to the end of your story. And then he says, that ain't nothing. And then tells his story. And of course, the, the skit goes on about how Brian Reagan has this social fantasy of having been one of the few men to have walked on the moon. So that in that setting, he can allow the me monster to keep going on and on about himself while he's eating his little hors d'oeuvres. And then once they're done, he says, I walked on the moon. And how can you come back to that? You can't trump that. Of course, he didn't walk on the moon, so Brian Reagan is forced to deal with me monsters, as are we, quite often. But I wonder, I wonder if I'm sometimes that me monster. I'm sometimes that one who's just all about myself. Do I dominate conversations? Do I keep turning things back to me? Now, we're in this series on prayer, and I wonder if I'm like that me monster in my conversations with God? Do I talk at God all the time? Or is it actually two-way? Am I somebody who wears God down by just, I just am always talking about me, and I'm never listening? Today, I want to consider the idea of listening prayer, the idea that, um, that there's a two-way communication in prayer. It's not just about talking to God. Now, we've done three weeks. This is the third week on prayer. And the first week, I encourage you to pray persistently. So keep going back to God. Keep praying. Keep persistently praying. And then the second week, last week, I talked about praying specifically and with expectation that your prayers do matter and they bring about change. Pray expecting God to respond and be specific in what you pray. Now, this week, I want to talk about praying attentively. In other words, listening prayer. Not just always talking, but receiving from God. And I'll begin with a question this morning. When was the last time that God spoke to you? If you are a Christian, you are a Christian because you have heard the voice of God. No one is a Christian who has not heard the voice of God. Now, you, it's not an audible voice usually, but the voice of God is known and, and it draws you in. And you respond to what he has said and who he is, and you repent of your sins and you pray a prayer inviting him into your life. That's about surrender and handing over lordship and repentance of sin and accepting him. 
And a lot of times people do that, and then many, many years go by, and they don't think they've heard the Word of God. They, if, if you have to answer that question, when was the last time that Jesus spoke to you? Is it your testimony of when you became a Christian, but you haven't heard from him since then? I hope that's not the case, but I'm afraid with many people it is. Have we heard from God? Now, the definition that I use for prayer is conversation. In particular, I really like the definition of prayer that it's conversation with God about what he and I are doing together. So there's, there, you need to listen if it's something you're doing together. It, but it's conversation, and that implies two-way. That implies that he will speak and not just you speaking to him. It is definitely two-way. Now, there are a couple of problems, I think, probably in this room. One, some of us don't think that God speaks anymore, at least not individually, that God doesn't speak to individuals. That's one problem. And another problem is some don't listen. Some of us just are not listening for God's voice. We've tuned him out. It's incredible to think about how much is in the air right now that we are not in tune with. For a while, we had interference with the church next door because we're all using wireless devices. I'm not wired to anything. I have this little pack here, and it is sending a signal straight through all of you on this side and into that receiver, right through your head. Whether I'm speaking or not, there is a signal going back and forth, but you're not tuned into it. And the same is true of the voice of God. A lot of times, we're just not tuned into his voice, but he is speaking. Now, maybe... We don't like the way that he speaks. And we say, God, I want you to just come and talk to me like, like a man, man to man, face to face. Just tell me what you want to say. And, and we get upset that he speaks through his written word, that he speaks through many other things, dreams, visions, through other people. Oftentimes God speaks to his people through his people. And we think, I want God himself to come and talk to me and be clear. Maybe we just don't like the way that he chooses to speak. Or maybe we don't like what he is saying. You know, do you really want God to come and say to you directly? What might he be saying to you? That, can, that could maybe scare us a little bit and, and think maybe, I, maybe it's a gift that he doesn't come and speak to me that way. Right? There is an overwhelming reaction in the old covenant to the prophets. The prophets almost all were killed. And Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, said, your fathers killed the prophets and you build their tombs. Which of the prophets did you not kill? And when he's lamenting over Jerusalem, the holy city, God kept sending prophets to it and they kept getting killed. And of course, Jesus, the, the final and perfect prophet, also was killed and his message was not received. And so sometimes we don't like what God has to say because of its implications for us. It means I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to do things a little differently. And so we think, mm, maybe it's safer if I don't try to listen to God, if I just talk at him. There's encouragement through the prophet Isaiah that in chapter 55, verse 11, he likens his word, the word of God, to the rain. And even if people are not willing to listen, his word is still effective. It says it does not return void. And just as the rain and the snow fall on the earth, it, that doesn't go back into the sky until it has watered the ground. And so it, it germinates seed and it brings life to the wheat and it grows the plants before it, it is back into the sky. And God's word is like that. It, it goes forth and it does not return empty. It accomplishes that for which God sent it out. 
God's word does what he wants it to. Now, this passage from Hebrews today starts out by saying, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. And when he says he has spoken to us through his son, it does not imply that speech has ceased, but rather the sending of his son was a definitive word from God, and the effects are ongoing. That's how the perfect tense works, has sent, has spoken. The event happened and stopped happening, and the effects continue. So Jesus is the word of God, and God spoke most clearly, even more clearly than through the prophets, when he sent his son. In fact, if you look at what Jesus said in the Gospels, he told his followers, if you, if you listen to me, you're going to hear the Father. If you see me, you'll see the Father. I, I only do and say what I get from the Father. He was that intimately connected to the Father. So he is the Word of God. And not only is this book the Word of God, but Jesus himself is the Word of God, and he has come. If you read a little further in Hebrews, a text that is really worth memorizing is Hebrews 4.12. It says, the Word of God is living and active. It is living and active. This book is not an old dead book. It's an old alive book. I mean, God is still speaking through his written word as well as his son, who is the word of God. In John chapter one, verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So God, in sending his son, was speaking and has spoken to us by sending his son to us. Now, I hope I'm making clear that God in the scriptures makes it clear that he speaks. If you take this book and think of it as a history book, it is that. If you take this book and think of it as a way to get knowledge, it is certainly that. But there is a message that is overarching in this book, and that is the message that God loves you. It is a message of, the lo- it's a love letter from God. This is God's love letter to you, and it tells you the extent to which he will go to save you and to restore you to your rightful place, which is serving him as the Lord and King. But it's out of his love that he's done this. This book is a love letter from God to you, and he will speak that to you. Now, in Hebrews 1, it goes on, and it talks about um, the lordship of Jesus, how he is, in verse 3, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by word and power, And it says, after making purification for sins. So here we've got the one, the word of God, through whom all things were created, out of love for us, comes down and makes purifications for sins by dying on a cross for us and and shows us the extent of God's love, the magnitude of that, that the one who is as they call him in in Acts, the author of life, was willing to lay down his life to redeem us, to make uh, a sacrifice for sins and bring us back under his lordship in our rightful place, set free to serve him. He made purification for sins. This is what this word is speaking to us of who our God is. And then God expects us to pay attention. The, the passage, the first scripture we read was from Luke's gospel in chapter nine, which is the account of the transfiguration. When Jesus goes up on the mountain and they catch a glimpse of his glory. It says after he finished these sayings, after he said these things about eight days later, well, he, he was talking about the call to discipleship and the cost of discipleship and was saying that there are some here who will not taste death before they see the glory of God. And then it says in eight days later, he took 
Peter and James and John, and they went up on a mountain to pray. It's significant that Jesus prayed often. He was constantly praying and praying and listening to what God the Father was saying to him, and he was also interceding. Jesus had a very lively prayer life, and he took them with him to see something. And they went up on the mountain, and it says that his, his very countenance, his face was transfigured and became bright and glowing, glorious. And they saw a glimpse of the glory of God there. And Elijah and Moses, summarizing the law and the prophets, were there with him, speaking to him about his exodus, is what it says, his upcoming exodus. In other words, he was about to die, and he was going to leave the life that he was currently in. And, and they came to encourage him and speak to him. And I love Peter that it's such a, such a powerful symbol for us. Peter's talking when he should be listening. And as Moses and Elijah are leaving, he starts to talk, nervous, maybe fearful talk. He just starts, you know, you know anybody who when they get nervous, they start incessantly talking? Lord, it's good for us to be here. How about we make some tents for you and for Moses and Elijah? And, and God just basically says, shh. And he comes in this big cloud. And I, that must have been a very eerie feeling for Peter and those guys to see this cloud coming at them, like, and you kind of, it's coming around you. And then there's a voice. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. Not only is God speaking, he is expecting us to be attentive to his word. He commands us to listen to him. In that case, he was speaking to Peter and James and John specifically, but I think that it's a pretty easy Bible study to show that it applies to all of us, that he expects us to listen to him. Now, listening prayer is about a response. Normally, you can tell me if this is your experience, normally we pray by talking first. We, I mean, sometimes I'll, in the morning I'll just wake up and say, good morning, Lord, and I will start by talking. And, and then maybe you've prayed like this where you say something to God and you go, what do you think about that? And it gets eerily quiet. So it's as if we try to make the initiative on our part and we expect him to respond. But what we are is doing it backwards because the initiative is always with God. In fact, sometimes you can't realize this but at first, but it's God who gave you the desire to pray in the first place. You're, you're speaking out to the heavens because God has put in you something, a desire for him, a need for him, and so you start speaking to him. But that's very at the infant level in faith to start praying like that. To mature and to grow is to understand that God speaks first and then we respond. It's through word and prayer. And word is us hearing from God, and then we respond by talking. I find it fascinating when I read the accounts of people who sought out to disprove Christianity, and there are a lot of them. They thought, oh, that Bible, it's full of all these contradictions, and and they're really smart people, and they think, I'm going to go and show how dumb this book is. And they start reading it. But what they do is they start reading it unaware that this is not an ordinary book. As I said, it is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword, which cuts in both directions. And they think they can come in and tear it apart and show how silly it is with all its contradictions, and they're reading God's Word. And they don't realize they're reading God's Word. They're not just reading a book written by men. Certainly, people were the pen, but the author was God. And they get converted. 
I'm thinking of people like C.S. Lewis. I'm thinking of Lee Strobel, the, the news writer in Chicago who ended up converting and then became a very strong proponent for Christianity. He wrote The Case for Faith and The Case for Christ and a number of other books. He sought out in anger to tear this book apart and met the living God in the midst of God's word. Why? Because God speaks. He speaks through his word and then invites a response. The initiative is always with God. Uh, You know, the Mormon religion, which is not, I can't call it a church, it's something other. The Mormon religion has some writings, the Book of Mormon that Joseph Smith wrote. And what the Mormon religion will do is it will take the Bible, God's word, and then superimpose Joseph Smith's ideas on it and confuse things. And one of the things that Joseph Smith very wisely wrote is he said, you can't just keep reading this book. You have to also read the Book of Mormon. A person who decides to read this book will abandon Mormonism and will, will fall away from the faith. Of course, I'm speaking in the negative now. In other words, they will become a Christian. If they keep reading this book and only this book, they will start to believe and they will abandon this other religion and they will join the Christian church. He understood something, the power of this book, to speak. God speaks through his word. I like how Romans 10 puts it, that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And that's where the Apostle Paul talks about the need for people to go out and proclaim, proclaim the word of Christ. When we hear the word, that's where faith comes. Faith comes from hearing the word. The reformer, Martin Luther, again, talking about God's initiative and then our response, says we must first hear the word and then afterwards the Holy Ghost works on our hearts. He works in the hearts of whom he will and how he will, but never without his word. God uses his word to change hearts. So I go back to the question before. When was the last time you heard from Jesus? When was the last time God spoke to you? Have you heard a fresh word from him? It is my expectation that we can hear from God every single week, every single day even. Now, sometimes I go to God's word and it's sort of like, morning and night, and, and we, we, we form a habit and a pattern, and it's not every day a fresh word. Sometimes there's one word that he keeps bringing me back to. Sometimes he does it probably because I can be obtuse through multiple ways. Have you had the experience of the same passage coming to you from three different venues? You know, somebody says it, you read it that morning, and then a, you see an ad or you see something somewhere, and you think, okay, all right, God, I'm going to stop for a minute and listen because you've got my attention now. He does that so frequently. If you want to hear what he has to say, he's, he is speaking and inviting you to respond. Now, I want to give some practical examples about this. Not only do I want you to pray specifically and with expectation, and not only do I want you to pray persistently, keep coming back, I want you to grow in listening prayer. And specifically, I want to talk about meditation. And don't get that word confused. Because we hear meditation and we think of Eastern religions, like transcendental meditation and the kind of meditation that is an emptying of the mind. You know, I'm going to get my mantra and I'm going to sit there and I'm just going to go, um, um, trying to disengage my mind. That is not what Christian meditation is like at all. That's a different thing. I'm talking about the kind of meditation that's about connection with God and it's about the mind and then going into the heart. And so... Again, it's funny, three times as I was preparing this week to prepare, to preach, I came across the illustration of meditating on God's word like a cow digests. 
I mean, it's, it's graphic and gross, but have you ever gone by a, a field and, and seen a cow, and he's not down eating grass, he's just going, <laughs> and he's just watching your car go by, and he just keeps chewing? You know what they do. They take a big wad of gr- grass, and they swallow it down, and then they bring it back up and chew on it some more, and they swallow it down, and they bring it back up, and they chew on it some more. I mean, it, if you think about it, they eat green grass, and white milk comes out. Something significant has to happen <laughs> in that process. It's called chewing the cud. And that illustration is so helpful for us in, in responsive prayer and meditating on God's Word. We take God's Word in, and we don't just read it in and think, oh, okay. We have to keep bringing it back up and, and wrestling with it. We have, to, we have to wrestle with this to get the Word out of it. Don't just let it quickly pass through. Don't be satisfied to come and read the Bible and not walk away with a word from the Lord. He is speaking through this book. And so sometimes you have to press in. You have to make a habit of it. You have to be persistent in coming to this saying, God, would you speak? I, anytime I read God's word, I pray for him to speak through it. I do it in here when I preach. I do it at the morning prayer time. I do it at my private time. If I find myself opening the book and just reading, I stop and I go, wait a minute. This is your word. Would you come by your spirit and shine your light into it so I can understand it and so that I can hear from you? I need a fresh word from you, God. Would you speak to me now? And then I'll go back and start over and read it. I want to encourage you, as you think about meditating on Scripture, to start by asking him to speak and expecting that he will speak. Because the, the track record of history is that God speaks to people through his word. And the word says that it's living and active. Now, how do you meditate on it? Well, there are a number of ways you can read this book. You can read it for information, like I said. You can read it to study it. And I would encourage a good study Bible to think through the passage. How does it fit in the whole narrative? What's the context? What is the, what is the original audience? What, you know, what did the original author intend? All this kind of stuff. All that should be done before you get to the level of beginning to meditate on it. Or like the cow, just chewing on the word. So what we do in the morning prayer time, and I'm trying to model this for the staff so that they'll do it on their own, is we will read a passage and then we will discuss it and ask questions of it. You know, what does it say? What does it mean? Now, what do we do? Another set of questions that I use that are helpful is, what does this passage tell me about God? What does it say about God? I mean, just even taking this passage that we just had, Hebrews 1. Well, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. Well, one, it tells me that God is ancient, right? Long ago, God was there speaking. And if I tie that with what I know from Genesis 1, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. The very first thing before anything happened was God spoke and things came into existence. In fact, if you go to the end of the book and go to Revelation, it says, behold, I'm coming soon. Again, it finishes with God speaking and it starts with God speaking. So I can ask questions. What does it say about God? And God has a son and his son is the exact imprint of the father. And it says that God has sent prophets to speak. So he's a speaking God. If you didn't know anything from church, imagine you'd never been to Sunday school or Bible study, you've never read this book, and that passage was given to you, and you were asked, what does it teach me about God? He's ancient, he speaks, he has a son. His son points to him. There's a number of things we get. What does it say about God? What does it say about the human condition? That's another question I ask. What does this passage tell me about humanity and the human condition, the fallen nature? What does it say to fallen man about our relationship with God? 
Well, that we need somebody to come and speak to us. As you read through this, it, it, it implies that we could fall into worship of angels, and Jesus is greater than angels. As you read through this, so what's, what does it say about man? And then what does it say about Jesus who saves? I'm always asking the question, how does this text preach Christ? And not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament. The whole book is God's love letter, and the whole thing is about Jesus. And that takes some work to think through that. Once we've got that figured, figured out, then we can start to wrestle with it and, keep, and, and think through the passage over and over again and, and meditate on it and bring it up and, and ask those hard questions and ask God, what are you saying to me today? The original audience said this, and he meant it, uh, the original author said this, and for the original audience, but what is the universal truth revealed here? And then today, Lord, what should I take away from this? As we meditate on God's word and ask those kind of questions, we will hear. He will say something, and then the question becomes, are you willing to obey? Are you going to listen to what he says? When I was brand new in ministry as an intern, I really had anxiety about preaching. I thought, you know, if you preach to the same church for like six months, you will have exhausted all of your material. And and they will, I mean, you'll, you'll have to start recycling sermons, and they'll say, oh, he preached that last month. And what I didn't realize is that we need to hear the same things over and over and over again because we so quickly drift from them. That's why this kind of listening prayer and meditating on God's word is so important to us. So think about some important things in here. The idea of being justified by faith. If I forget that I've been justified by faith, I will start to slip into works. I will start to slip into fear that I'm not right with God and I got to get right with him and I've got to earn some stuff. Or I'll slip into boasting. You know, we're saved by grace through faith and this is not of our own doing so that no one may boast. But if I forget that about God and I'm not meditating on his word, I can start thinking I'm a pretty good guy, God. Look at me. Look at how much work I'm doing for you. And I, can, I, I need to be meditating on that. Or being adopted. You and I are sons and daughters of the living God. We are adopted. We are welcome at his table. We belong in his house. He's preparing a, mansion, a room for us in his mansion. And if I forget that, and the other ideas that come in start to get me confused about those kind of things, I have fear. I start to feel like I don't belong anymore. I experience anxiety. I experience displacement. I start to trust human relationships are the best I can get. And if they fail me, then what's left? But when I go back and I chew on the idea, I'm, I'm a son of God. I've been adopted into his family. I'm a royal heir with Christ. Now I can be okay with some discord in my human relationships because I'm grounded in that relationship. When I think about being sanctified, the scriptures teach me that the Holy Spirit is making me holy. If I remind myself of that and memorize those kind of scriptures and I start to chew on that, I... I then want to participate with it. I don't think this is as good as it gets. I think God is not done with me yet, and he's going to carry on to completion the good work he started. If I think about the resurrection, that Christ is the first fruits, and that all in him will also be resurrected, I don't have to worry about my body in the same way that everybody else does. I know it's wearing out, but if I don't think I'm going to be resurrected, then I have to hang on to every bit of this life that I can and squeeze everything out of it that I can because I guess this is all, this is as good as it gets. But if I meditate on God's word that says he's resurrected and we will be as well, now I can be okay with aging and all that kind of stuff. I'm okay with that. 
All this is a part of meditating on God's word. And if we start with meditating on God's word, then our prayers look different. Then we pray in response back to him. And it's a conversation. I've heard from your word, God, and now I bring this back to you. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's what we're invited to do. And I want to encourage you this week, don't go away from this book until you've heard what God has said to you. And when he speaks to you, or you think he's spoken to you, obey. Obey. That's how you know if he's spoken to you, when you start to obey it. Otherwise, if, if you hear his voice, but you harden your heart, then you're not going to know. But don't harden your heart when he speaks to you, and expect him to speak. Go to it. This is God's love letter to you. He loves you. Receive what he has to say. Let's pray now.